always interesting how the light comes in in different churches. I remember the first time I preached in my internship congregation at River Road. And I didn't realize that in September the light comes like right here, so it was just like a blinding white. I couldn't see anybody. I'm like, okay, well, that helps with the nerves. I, I might as well be alone in this room of light that I'm in. <laughs> oh, now I have a halo. Great. Well, that's so appropriate. So it's wonderful to be with you today, UCF, in your beautiful space that I know was so hard won back in the day. I haven't had the chance to be with you on a Sunday morning yet, although I have been working with your leaders and with Reverend Carl and keeping tabs on you on other days of the week. You may know that I was the minister at Sugarloaf Congregation of UU's just down 270 um, when you first hired Carl as your minister. We've been colleagues since then, and when I moved to the Unitarian Universalist Association in 2015 as field staff, I began working with Frederick in an official capacity. Or more accurately, I should say, I've witnessed Frederick. I've witnessed you grow, I've witnessed you organize, I've witnessed you making responsible and brave decisions with your resources, I've witnessed your witness in Frederick County, and much more. I'm very proud of your work here, UUCF. I think Frederick is one of our more vital congregations in the greater D.C. metro area, and I'm always excited to hear what you're up to next. My visits to congregations are always a good time to remind folks that you are part of the Central East region of the Unitarian Universalist Association. There are five regions in the United States, and we here in the D.C. area are in the southern part of the Central East region, which ends in northern Virginia, and then, of course, covers Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania, four-fifths of Ohio, West Virginia, the Delmarva, New Jersey. We even have a couple, New York, all of New York up to the Canadian border, and we even have a couple of Connecticut congregations in our region. So all told, we have 206 congregations and communities in the Central East region, and you are staffed by 11 program and administrative staff. And those staff, like me, answer questions that individual congregations have about church functioning, things like that. We connect you to resources from the UUA and other congregations. We walk with you through installations and ordinations and openings and closings and tough and happy times. And we remind you of our UU values when you need reminding And we learn from you about how Unitarian Universalism is a living and growing faith when we need that reminding. Nearly all of this is funded through the generous contributions of congregations like Frederick, who has been a stalwart honor congregation for many years. Thank you for that. The UUA is an association of congregations, the embodiment of the covenant that congregations have made to support each other. Your contributions are helping congregations and leaders that you will never meet, but your assistance is palpable, and we couldn't do it without you, so thank you. I have a squishier part to my job alongside the truly harder work of direct congregational service. The squishier part of my job, of all UUA staff's job, is to keep an eye on Unitarian Universalist trends the ways in which our religion is shifting and moving in a world that needs us now more than ever. I love this squishy part of my job, especially when I get invited to preach in places like this. I love it because I get to plant some seeds in very fertile ground. Or else say, hey, you have this plant growing here. Did you know they're growing a similar plant down the road? And they go with those plants over there. And the next thing you know, there's all sorts of gardens 
all sorts of gardens grown and bridges built and connections made. And all I had to do was notice when people are being smart and doing cool things and talk about it a lot. So I'm excited to introduce some ideas here today, which may or may not be new to you here, and see what you smart people, this smart organization, is able to do with them. See, the next generation of Unitarian Universalism is ready to be born, and it will be born out of places like UUCF. I'm just the midwife, though, not even really. I'm just sort of in the room like the grandma with the seventh grandbaby. You're the laborer, and our next generation is coming out from places just like this. In fact, from here, if your past is any indication. So what is the previous generation, and what's the next generation of Unitarian Universalism, then? I've done a lot of public speaking about the structural differences between what we commonly call 20th century church as opposed to what is needed in 21st century church. The answer comes down to one idea, which is focused mission. Today's church needs to understand why it exists in the world. I know UUCF has, UUCF has done a lot of work on mission, and I encourage you to keep it up. Your strong sense of why you exist and the purpose you serve to your own people and to the greater community is likely why this place is so vibrant and active. But today, I'd like to talk beyond the structural needs of the modern church and take, talk a bit about some theological changes that are needed, especially for we Unitarian Universalists. Now, I've actually taken classes from Carl myself, so I'm going to assume that when I talk about some UU history, <laughs> there will be some familiarity with what I'm saying. Carl knows more about UU history than most anyone, and I know he talks a lot about it here. So perhaps you'll nod a bit in recognition when you hear me say that Unitarianism and Universalism both have been historically this-worldly religions, theologically speaking. Does that sound familiar at all, this-worldly religions? So this-worldly religions operate in contrast to other-worldly other worldly religions that might have you focus on the afterlife more than on this life that you're living in right now. In fact, throughout history, it has been Unitarians and Universalists who have reoriented religious folks towards the importance of the lives they're currently living in rather than to heaven or hell or something in between or whatever fate awaits us. For example... Back when we were all Puritans, we Unitarians and Universalists, and the teaching was that God had already de decided before you were born whether you would get to heaven or be damned into it in eternity, eternal fiery hell, it was those who were to become Unitarians and Universalists who wondered, eventually louder and louder, whether or not that made sense. Surely one's behavior in life counts in God's eyes, our theological foreparents said, there has to be room for self-improvement, and for that self-improvement to count in the final reckoning, they said, it can't all just be predetermined, or else the fact of our living doesn't make any sense at all. The lives we live matter, the ancestors concluded. This worldly is what they were. What we do in this world counts, they taught. 
A hundred or so years later, common American church teaching assumed that if people were poor or uneducated or had drunken spouses or had to work horrible jobs to stay alive, then that was due mostly to their poor breeding or unfortunate mysterious punishment by God, and there was really nothing that could be done. The social structure was what it was, rich people up on top and poor people at the bottom, No point in educating those children who ran about unsupervised in the streets because their parents were working or passing laws that prevented those same children from entering a factory for the rest of their lives as soon as they could sit in a chair. It was universalists and Unitarians who taught that people could be assisted, changed, and redeemed by human efforts in this world and that our social structures could be altered for the good. No one was inherently lost. No one was permanently damned. All we had to do was care and work, and people's lives were often turned around in this world. We could make a difference in this world. Now, I do have to mention that those folks who worked on those social causes definitely had an outcome in mind, and that our outcome was largely one that fit with white upper-class norms. We would hope to be much more expansive in our care today. Still, this this worldly orientation the one that said how people live in this world matters to all of us, that was striking and powerful for its time. It matters to us how people live in this world, even if they aren't us. UUs were beacons of that, this worldly idea. And 50 or so years after that, Unitarians and Universalists joined with the religious humanist cause. Humanism's foundational idea is that it is this world's human experience that matters, period. We don't need to ponder infinity because it isn't relevant. This is the pinnacle of the this-worldly orientation, in my view, when you determine that it is only this world, in fact, that need be on the table for discussion at all. So those are three powerful examples historical examples of our this-worldliness in the overall American religious landscape. I offer them because I want you to see that we, you use, are practically this-worldly despite ourselves. It's a reflex. Again and again, across time and culture, we pick this world in which to engage, in which to celebrate, in which to act, which will make what I'm going to say even more striking and what I'm going to ask you to think about doing even more against the grain. I think it's time to make a move away from this world's habits and practices. Deliberately and loudly, move away. I think it's time to be very clear that when you walk through these doors, through the doors of any UU congregation, you are in many ways leaving the world and its ways behind. I want to talk about our congregations learning to deploy a counter-narrative to the world in which we currently live. I talked before about the importance of mission, the importance of a church knowing and stating your purpose. Well, nowadays, in big and small ways, church is most visibly relevant when it makes a space to be different from everyday life, to be redeemed from all that is wrong in the world. Our modern-day habits and practices, folks, you may have noticed that they aren't serving us human beings very well, They aren't serving those in our pews, and they certainly aren't serving those in our streets. We UUs are not only called to make this world better, we are often called to do so 
by subverting the dominant paradigm, by creating and living a counter-narrative to the world as it currently presents itself. So far, I've thought of a bunch of examples of counter-narrative that a church could adopt, but I'm going to highlight just a few so that we aren't here forever, as lovely as it is to be together. So one, an easy one. The world now wants us to communicate and commune with each other remotely, with multiple screens and personas and avatars in between one person and another. I've heard it said that we know more about each other than ever before, but we know each other less than we ever have. And so one way to be countercultural is simply by arriving together physically at one time and sitting in the same room together. Hearing each other's voices and stories, seeing each other's actual faces in their joys and sorrows. And the good news is that we're doing this important work right now. I myself spend most of my days in front of one screen or another. That might be true for you too. What a balm to the spirit to be in a room with other people who are trying to be good to each other. And what a gift, too. I once witnessed a young woman remind a a room full of church people that for her generation, showing up physically somewhere was in no way a given. And when she did that, she was offering the gift of her presence to the others who chose to do the same. This Sunday situation here is no longer any sort of default. It is, however, an opportunity. And the fact that you have so many people willing to do it shows that there's a need, not just a habit. You are already providing a counter-narrative just by being you. Good job. (laughs) But don't squander this opportunity to heal spirits and connect people. It happens less and less often in this world. Second counter-narrative... This one has to do with power. If you're a person with social privilege, which can be almost anyone in one way or another, but for some of us, we have quite a lot of social privilege due to our race or our gender or our education or our income level or the spiraling effect of having all of those at the same time. I hope you've learned from church and elsewhere how having privilege means that power gets handed to you without your asking and not to those without those privileges. Surely we wouldn't be caging white children at our Canadian border. I know the police, I know the police aren't shooting upper white class heterosexual property owning white ladies. In fact, I don't even really get ticketed for speeding and I'm pretty sure I could get away with shoplifting for a good long while if I chose to. So that's what the world out there is like, right? The world is easier if you have qualities that the majority of folks in this room have, and it gets progressively harder the more and more the culture thinks you vary from an ideal that it has chosen to set. What if church chose differently? What if church was a place that deliberately flipped the switch on our familiar American power dynamics? What if our words from the pulpit celebrated the ways in which people were able to subvert those power structures which caused such suffering outside of our doors? What if we spent time auditing how our church processes could flip those forces and then experimented with making the changes we imagined? What would that look like? 
Who would get to speak most? Who would get to tell their story of learning and changing? Whose idea would take precedence? Who would belong and who would be the visitor that people have to get used to? What, whose accomplishments would be celebrated and for what? If we practiced this shift, even imperfectly, we could then at least make the claim that there's a better option than the one so many of our members and our neighbors experience every day out there. We could be a model, a beacon. This counter-narrative, even imperfectly enacted, even just hinted at, could be a world changer. It could free all of us, the privileged and the less privileged alike, by letting us get away from a game in which no one really wins. Counter-narrative. The third counter-narrative, and this will be it for today, the world outside wants people to feel overwhelmed and impotent and scared so they won't change anything. It wants those without privilege to shrink away and be silent and undemanding, and it wants people with privilege to turn away from the vast needs of this world. What if church was where we refused to do that? What if we knew that we'd be helping those who need it and figuring out next steps and always with our eyes on a better tomorrow? When we gather together for the purpose of creating courage and agency, we're offering a counter-narrative to the world outside. Even when our only recourse is to be together and sing, that's a far cry from scanning panic-inspiring headlines on our phones in an anonymous crowd on our on the metro, isn't it? Solidarity and courage makes us brave everywhere we go, right when it's needed most, out there in the world that feeds on our fear but doesn't know what to do with our perseverance or our steadfastness or our insistence on the good. So those are some examples but I've thought of, but it's not an exhaustive list, and frankly, I'm not all that creative. What matters is... What ways can you think of to provide a counter-narrative to the world as it is? What does this place need that it doesn't have and you are well-placed to provide? Think about elders. Think about joy. Think about being and not buying. Think about the power of we Notice the many things in the world that cause fear, hate, and disconnection and bring their their antidotes inside of these walls. And imagine explaining to those in the greater Frederick community and the world what it is that you're doing. What an easy marketing campaign to actively provide the sustenance, support, and joy that makes our lives connected and complete that you get here and nowhere else. Talk about a purpose. Talk about a reason for church to be in this generation. Who would say no to better living like that? A new generation of church is being born, UUCF, and maybe it's being born today. The world is hungry for the love and perspective and learning that you can bring to it and its people. 
When this secular world outside of our walls asks us what church is for and why to bother, we'll know what to say. We are answering the call of love by creating a counter-narrative so that people can be healed and made whole by each other, and the world can be restored and we can all rejoice in it, which is our birthright, which is our destiny if we make it so. Let's do this. Let's do it together. May it be so. Amen.